Welcome to the RSP Cast. I'm Matt Waldman, the creator of the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. This week, we're going to do a little bit of a look back at one of my favorite pieces from the RSP Writers Project. And it's a specific writers project that I did almost 10 years ago about defending the planet, the team to defend the planet. And I want to talk about my quarterback to defend the planet. I always wanted to put this on audio. Um, But before we do that, if you haven't gotten your rookie scouting portfolio, pre-draft, post-draft service, you can head over to mattwaldman.com where you can download the complete pre-draft, post-draft package for $21.95. It's a combined 1,124 pages of scouting reports, draft history, ADP data, and football knowledge that fantasy players, media, former NFL players, and personnel people in the league and the Division I college football routinely tell me how much they learn about the skill players or how it leads them to think of concept or ideas in a different way. In addition to that, I do offer a projections and dynasty ranking service for $24.95. Now, when you purchase that service, um, I send you an email within 24 hours with information with how to download that. Now, the cool thing about the projections dynasty ranking service is that I give you both um, a win now and long build cheat sheet that's tiered each of those are different you get tiered rankings cheat sheets with those um, players and you get a complete set of team by team projections for every conceivable player that i believe will be on an nfl depth chart and i update that throughout the year and it used to just be available on pdf but i am making it available on excel beginning early august so that way You can update it the way you'd like to, put notes in there if you want to. You can sort things differently. You can create your own types of work or make addendums to it that suit what you do. So it gives you an unbelievable amount of flexibility. Um, The Excel version that's available is going to be available beginning in August, again, for $24.95. And of course, the RSP, when you purchase it, It allows me to contribute a portion of the proceeds to Darkness to Light, an organization that protects children through educational programs for adults. And the RSP has donated over $55,000 to D2L.org during the past decade, thanks in part to you. If you want to learn more about D2L.org, you can go to their site. Of course, you can donate there. If you already have the RSP, you want to donate more. If you don't have the RSP and just want to donate, man, more power to you. It's a great organization. And I would highly recommend, you know, the work that they do and even take part in the educational programs that they, the trainings that they offer. So let's get to this week's podcast and talk about the Writers Project. Again, it's a goodwill community effort, or it was, among writers that was designed to spur conversation about the game. Each year, there was a different theme. The first one was a team-building project with a salary cap. It included people like Field Yates, um, you know, Mike Clay, Dane Brugler, Chad Ryder, Eric Edholm, um, you know, Brandon Thorne, a wide range of national media. And in the RSP Writers Project Part 4 was straight out of a comic book or a summer blockbuster. Here's the the gist of it, kind of the setup. An alien race several light years from our planet makes a spectacular coordinated landing at every major military base, branch of government, and media outlet around the world. Dressed in black suits and boots that look a lot like SWAT gear, the aliens have similarities to the human race. 
They have one head, a pair of eyes, a pair of ears, one nose, one mouth, two arms, two legs, two hands, and ten fingers, and toes. They appear to have similar ranges of height and weight as humans. Their skin is transparent. And where clothing doesn't cover their body, one can see their muscle fiber, circulatory system, nervous system, and bones. Based on mood and activity, one can see their body parts glow with a variety of bright colors. Their eyes are red, orange, yellow, or violet. Ships the size of states hover above our world, blocking out the sun. Each ship sends down some beam of light that has interrupted everyone's daily lives, forcing us to wake up, shut up, sit down, and feel eerily calm and relaxed as our planet collectively listens to a communication signal that hijacks every television station, video monitor, telephone, computer, and listening device on the planet, and it broadcasts its message in every language. We have traveled from a distant galaxy. Our planet is similar to yours, but we are a much older species than you. Our ships cover every portion of your planet. At any moment, we could extinguish life on Earth. We have already proven this to your world's leaders and military. The fact that none of you can move a muscle and feel strangely calm despite what we're doing should give you some idea of our power to take this planet. Our intention is to take over your planet, enslave you, and mine your resources for our needs. However, our species, which is far older than yours, admires your qualities of creativity, resilience, intensity, and control and adaptability of emotion. At the same stage of our common evolutionary history, your species has developed the same technology and wisdom and at a faster rate than us. These are qualities about you that we wish to study. And despite our intentions, we ascribe to a certain code of conduct that your cultures don't yet have a perfect word to describe. The closest word in your lexicon on earth is fairness. We realize enslavedness is not enslavement is not inherently fair, but it is a word in your world culture that has the closest meaning to our intent, although our use will be far more physically and psychologically humane. Regardless of how odd this sounds to your people, it is important to us that you have a fair chance to defend your planet. One thing that our two species have in common is a love of sport. As inconceivable as this might be for you to grasp at the moment, Earth is not the only planet where football evolved. We're not referring to the game that most of your world knows it by, the one played with the round ball, but the United States variant of football. Based on our similarities of height, weight, speed, quickness, leaping ability, agility, balance, stamina, strength, and intelligence, we have determined that this game is the fairest contest we can offer you. We are giving the U.S. the opportunity to defend your planet by playing us in a game of football. You will have 90 days to select a team of players from any era. We have the technology to temporarily bring these individuals back to life and restore them to their physical, mental, and emotional prime. You will field a team 
a coaching staff, and pick the era of rules you wish to use for this game. Win the game, and we will allow your planet to continue its sovereign existence. Lose, and we take control. The RSP Writers Project will undertake this mission to present teams to you to include a head coach, coordinators, a starting offense, a starting defense, and key special teams performers. The writers, they were going to get, they gave inner overviews of the teams and each unit. And once each writer presented their team, the reader got to vote on the players and coaches to defend the planet. Um, injuries were possible in the game, so we used these votes to determine backups as well. Um, so that was the essence of this particular project. I want to share with you my quarterback to defend the planet. Super Bowl wins and playoff records as criteria for quarterback greatness? Forget that big media bullshit. It's fertilizer for drunken debates in bars and cabs. The wins argument only works with teams coaches, boxers, wrestlers, and race car drivers. Well, that's not entirely true, but in the case of determining one game, it's a crutch of an argument that can't support the weight of the present situation. There's only one shot to defend our planet. We have no advanced scouting of our opponent, but our enemy knows so much about us and the game we invented that they are allowing us to use any player from any point in history does this sound like an opponent that lacks confidence in its athleticism, skill, and knowledge of the game? We can't get stoned off the fumes of our players' past glories. The sooner we get over the Hall of Fame credentials, the better, because this game will be a gut-wrenching, soul-testing war. I don't care who you put on the offensive line. There will be several points during this game that our all-time greats will get knocked on their ass, walked into the pocket, beaten off the edge, and tricked like freshmen into thinking there's a pool under the basketball court at the high school gym. We need physically, mentally, and emotionally resilient players. We need creative players. We need players that understand when it comes to football, the chess analogy only works if the board's in the middle of a brawl on biker night at the dive bar on the outskirts of town. A defense doesn't recline in its chair and tell you, nice move, after you execute bishop to knight two to put its king in check. The defense rips the piece off the square, bites its head off, spits it in your face, and punches you in the chest, and then after molding you in the turf says, check this, motherfucker. Great football players create chaos out of order and order out of chaos. We better presume that the aliens will have great football players. The pocket won't be clean, receivers will get blanketed, and the opponent will make good reads. Knowing these things, are you really going to choose an intellectual field general that moves like a king on a chessboard? Tom Brady? Johnny Unitas? Peyton Manning? They're all great when they can study for the test and get tons of rehearsal time. School's out, kids. Welcome to the real world. Pick one of these brainy overachievers for your squad, and I have seven words for you. See you in the alien minds, motherfucker. I want a quarterback that can win pretty, win ugly, or even win bizarrely. 
Give me a quarterback that can do everything wrong. Footwork, grip, throwing motion, receiver choice, or pre-snap read and still turn it into a beautiful, impossible dream of a play. Give me a football player that can lead an inferior team to a come-from-behind victory against a national championship-caliber opponent six weeks after his car flipped three times, stuck the landing against a pine tree, and two and a half feet of his guts were removed from his body to keep him alive. Give me a star who kicked his addiction to painkillers six years into his career and played another 14 with the same fearless disregard for his body. Give me a man who plays out of his mind on a national stage while racked with the shock of grief of his father's sudden death from a heart attack the night before. I want Brett Favre for my team to defend the planet. Say what you will about the all-time interception mark and the cringe-worthy recklessness that cost his team huge games. He never lost his confidence to play through mistakes during a 20-year career. I don't want a quarterback renowned for executing an offensive system as long as his ass stays clean, his teammates are playing well, and his opponent lacks an answer to the scheme. I want a passer with a track record for pulling himself out of a hole, overcoming an addiction, and playing through his grief. I want the quarterback that can wipe that bishop's head off his face sharpen the nose to a fine point with his teeth, and wing that bishop's head-turned dagger into the defense's throat. And while that defense is drowning in its own blood and spit, that quarterback will walk past with a wink and smile and draw, you're lucky I didn't give you a Dutch oven. Favre played the game with a reckless abandon and joy for 20 years at the highest level. He inspires teammates to do the same because he understands that each play might be his last. No one at his position performed with as much skill, grit, and play-to-play adaptability. Imagine what Brett Favre would be like if he didn't lose two and a half feet of his guts in college. I'd like to tell you Favre's exploits are the stuff of league MVPs, but it's not. It doesn't matter that Favre earned that honor three times. NFC Player of the Year five times, all pro honors six times, and pro bowl votes from peers and not fans 11 times. It's the caliber of the plays he can make when they're needed the most. Brett Favre is the cheat code to the test, the monkey wrench thrown into the works, the exception to the rule. I want that for my quarterback to defend the planet. Since I have a little more time, let's talk about some of the receivers I chose to defend the planet, which to me was easier than picking the team's starting running back. Other than a day of indecision between two players for me that concluded with me adding both to my core and adding bumping one of my slot receivers to special teams, I knew who I wanted at running back and how they would fit. But there are dozens of receivers that deserve consideration for this squad. Here are 12 of them who crossed my mind. Larry Fitzgerald. I mean, after all, there are few players in the history of the game that track the ball as well as Fitzgerald. His college highlights contain some of the best contested catches I've ever seen at any level. He's going to be a reserve on my team. Calvin Johnson. Megatron is the one receiver I thought about for a while, and he's arguably the most physically dominant receiver in the history of the game. He's my other reserve but he doesn't earn the starting role, surprisingly. How about Lance Allworth? Graceful, 
speedy, fluid, and a great ball tracker. He played in an era where receivers were manhandled at the line of scrimmage. He also played in an era with simpler coverage schemes. A fantastic player, but I never considered him seriously for my scheme, though I understand why my buddy Mark Schofield did. How about Anquan Bolden? Kind of a curious choice for some, but at one point, Bolden was Terrell Owens with better hands and a better team attitude. Tough as nails. Leaving Bolden off this squad hurts a little bit whenever I think about it, but I had to make the tough choice. Isaac Bruce. He posted one of the most dominant seasons in 1995 with 119 receptions, 1,781 yards, and 13 scores. And this was when the Rams' greatest show on turf was a little more than 22 clowns stuffed in a car. He's a breathtaking player. Marvin Harrison, silent assassin. So much more than the lucky SOB who played with Peyton Manning. He often made Peyton Manning look great. And there's Michael Irvin, who's so strong, technically savvy and confident. But uh, Irvin's locker room presence could be both an asset and a detriment, depending on the other personalities in the room. Then there's Sterling Sharp. Strong, tough. He had a rapport with my quarterback before a career-ending injury. Unbelievable player. A curious one on my list that I consider, Brandon Lloyd. His skill at adjusting to the football is just pure artistry. I'm still in awe of his body control and hands that if we could win the planet back with a one-on-one drill with an alien cornerback and receiver and I was confident Lloyd was feeling his best, he'd be one of the three receivers I consider for the job. But uh, couldn't really rely on him career long to be able to make that call. Chris Carter, he'd be one of those three as well. Um, John Jefferson, he's a Brandon Lloyd-like talent with awesome body control and hands whose career flamed out too early. And, of course, Andre Johnson. I mean, Terrell Owens might be slightly better after the catch, but Johnson is on the same level, and he has better hands and maturity. Like Megatron, Optimus Prime earns serious consideration. Now, despite the talents of these 12 and dozens of other great receivers, there was never a question that Steve Smith Jr. would be on my team. Unless you haven't seen my weekly facetious tweets way back in 2014 where whenever he dominated a fender, I tweeted, Steve Smith is too old, you may not know I'm a diehard fan. Although the final criteria for my decision was not based on stats. Although Chase Stewart of Football Perspective would be at least understand my choice. If not fully approve it, you can look up Chase Stewart, Steve Smith, and understand why. Steve Smith is a game wrecker, an enforcer, and an IED disguised as in a mascot's body. He's the prank I hope I can play on the aliens, praying that they somehow miss Smith while scouting our game's history from afar. Watching them bewildered on the sidelines after Smith schools them would just be priceless. Now, I doubt they overlooked him. It doesn't matter. I didn't pick Smith to trick anyone. His skill, big game performances, personality, and psychological makeup are exactly what I'm seeking for my team to defend the planet. See, there's two sides to Steve Smith. He's 5'9 at his listed height, but he's more like 9'5 on the field. 
he plays his position at both extremes of the physical spectrum. Depending on what you need from him on a given play, he's either that five foot nine water bug or a nine foot five giant. I can't think of a wide receiver that does this as well as Smith. And I'm not sure there's a player in football who does. Imagine if Darren Sproles had Marshawn Lynch's power and balance, and that's Smith in a nutshell at wide receiver. Smith also has an extraordinary integration of skills and mindset that most pro receivers envy. His vertical leap, body control, hands, focus against tight physical coverage, knowledge of angles to win battles of leverage. Atlanta broadcasters routinely told viewers that Roddy White was a wrestler, and I loved White's game in his prime. But if White was a wrestler at the receiver position, then the rugged Smith was an MMA powerhouse. When it comes to throwing defenders around, 6'5", 225-pound receivers don't do it or didn't do it as often as Smith. The mighty might managed to take it a step further and did it from odd pursuit angles. Need a blocker in the screen game? That's where Smith also summons that 9'5 mentality. Need Smith to come at his opponent directly? Done. Need the bully to bully? <laughs> Smith has your antidote. Or to bully that bully, in other words. Smith can also take what his opponents dish out. John Gruden said Smith's highlight reel runs after the catch might be the most impressive any receiver when considering how many piles of trash he emerged from throughout his career. One of my favorites was a play against the Texans where Smith was the bottom receiver running a crossing route to the middle of the field. What's endearing about Smith's attitude is that he would be the first to say that much of his success after the catch comes from bad tackling. It sounds modest, but there's an edge to that statement that lets you know that he's needling opponents for gang trying to gang tackle them and like that Texans play, failing miserably. It's as if Smith would prefer to tell the media that his opponents were bad while only implying that he made them look that way. He could say he's the best and no one can stop him, but that's bulletin board material. No, he's smarter than that. The defense didn't tackle well. The cornerback didn't finish the game. The defensive back needed to ice up. His success is far more than defenders making mistakes. It's highly contradictory concentrated doses of effort confidence and passion and it's all packed into an incendiary device smith is the on-field manifestation of will he's the indoctrinated underdog when he entered the league smith was already written off as a receiver before he even got his shot no one expected smith to play beyond his size or to do it for much of his career with average quarterback play at best He's accustomed to competition that has the advantage on paper. I can't say the same for either of the Johnsons I left off my receiving core, and I don't believe that Calvin or Andre Johnson would be intimidated by the alien competition, but I am willing to entertain the possibility that neither of these guys have been physically dominated for some time. What happens when bigger receivers being used to being bullies have their height speed factor neutralized? Do they rise to the challenge, or do they go into a shell? There's potential for that moment, and we can only guess how they'd respond. 
Smith has always been staring up at his competition. There will be no psychological surprises. Smith will take the fight to the aliens. It's another reason Smith is my first choice. He brings the fire. Every team needs at least one player that can ignite passion. And even as a fan of quiet, resilient players who act like they're up 21-0 after they fumble the ball while losing 0-21 and rebound from those mistakes, I recognize that you need players who can keep the team loose as well as light a fire under their ass. Steve Smith is that butane Zippo with a 007-like flamethrower mechanism tucked inside. If this team needs a kick in the ass or we need someone to take the opponent off their game, Smith will only be happy to oblige. And if I need him to return kicks and punts, he'll probably do it better than my starters, if I'm being honest. His versatility is not lost on me. I can use Smith on the end around and reverse and get a ton out of him from my multiple offensive scheme. Don't presume that Smith earned the edge over Calvin Johnson or Andre Johnson on attitude and versatility alone. Despite lacking a top NFL quarterback during most of his playoff appearances where he was the marked man, Smith has 59 playoff receptions, 1,001 yards, 9 touchdowns, and in 11 games. Smith averages 17 yards per catch in the playoffs, including 35-year-old Ravens 2015 postseason Steve Smith version with 8 catches for 145 yards and a touchdown during two playoff games, averaging 18.1 yards per catch. Calvin Johnson had less experience in the playoffs with two games, 17 catches, 296 yards, and two scores. Good work, but in 11 games, Steve Smith scored a touchdown in eight of them. Smith was 23rd all-time in career playoff receptions and 13th in yards, appearing in 30-50% to 50% fewer games than many of the greats who've been atop these boards including Jerry Rice, Reggie Wayne, Michael Irvin, Andre Reed, Thurman Thomas, Cliff Branch, Drew Pearson, Marvin Harrison, John Stallworth, Art Monk, to name a lot of them. Versatile, clutch, fast, and fiery, Smith is the ultimate game wrecker. Ice up, son. Let's wrap this up with my running back to defend the planet. Now, when I began my running back cut down to defend the planet, I had intent, intended to award Walter Payton the job. But somewhere along the way, I realized that Payton was much more than a ball carrier for my team. He was a tone setter and the embodiment of our philosophy. It left the starting gig open and allowed me to consider players that I had cut, reconsider some of them. And I'm going to talk about Peyton as that tone setter because he's that final cut, you know. And this is, you know, when I did this series, it wasn't about ranking the greatest running backs of all time. I was choosing the best fit for my team to save the planet. And that appears to know, and it's a, an alien that appears to know a lot more about us. It may not seem like there's a difference between who's the greatest back of all time and who fits for your team, but there is a difference. And my decisions are based on limited knowledge of these players personally. I'm sure if I knew about them as men, my decisions could have been dramatically different. There are dozens 
of great runners that I could have mentioned during the series that didn't earn my attention. And listen, if you complain to me about leaving a player out, thanks for taking my opinion seriously enough to be upset about it. Just remember, nothing I'll say will enhance or lessen the excellence of these guys I left off. Running back is the most talent-dense position in the history of the league. It may not matter now, but it's mattered for most of the history of the league. And that's why narrowing the choice to a single running back is pure insanity. I'm sharing my process of finding my runner to defend the planet. The criticisms I've had for these players are so minor that normally I'd echo Jim Brown's sentiments about rating players across efforts, which is this. I don't deal with who's greatest. That's very limited. I'm sorry to say, and I think this is an example of it. Why would anyone want to say what Adrian Peterson has done this year, the year that we're talking about is 2000 rushing year isn't what someone else did years before it's what you do when you do it and it should not be compared we don't have to compare it it's unnecessary it's taking something away from someone to give someone else something you don't have to do that because what adrian is doing now doesn't hurt anyone else who's ever run the football i'm not going to look at walter payton to take anything away from walter I'm not going to look at John Riggins and take anything away from him. I'm only going to look at the positive things of each individual. And I get Brown's point. My exercise comes from a place of love for the abilities of all of these backs. It's not a who is the best ranking. It's a who is the best for this situation based on my needs. You know? And after all, as Charles Bukowski once said, we're all here to laugh at the odds and live our lives so well that death will tremble to take us. Walter Payton is not my starting running back. He's the last cut on my cut-down list of 12 backs in consideration for the starting gig to lead some of the greatest football players this planet has ever seen. Don't be alarmed. There's no way Payton is leaving the building without a starting, a starting gig. Um, we just, I just want to see... Um, you know, I, I have a little bit of another way of looking at it. So look at it this way. Do you want to see the greatest tackle of all time by an amateur football player? Watch me chase down Walter Payton if he tries to leave the facility upon learning that he's not the starting running back on my team to defend the planet. Dick Butkus would admire what I'd leave in my wake to get Payton before he stepped out that front door. And it's not that Payton would ever walk out, even if I was stupid enough to have him truly cut from the team and escorted from the building, I trust the rest of my team to sneak his ass right back in. Hell, they better be ready to stage a mutiny at the mere thought of that cut happening. After all, I didn't pick idiots at football. Now make no mistake, Peyton will be an integral part of the offense. He'll pass protect, he'll catch the football from the backfield, and he'll work from the slot or split wide if the matchup dictates, and you better believe Peyton will carry the football. Barry Sanders may be more elusive. Adrian Peterson and Marshawn Lynch may run with a similar urgency and intensity as Peyton, and Lynch and Brown may match Peyton's stamina on a run-to-run -run basis. None of them did the caliber of work behind offensive lines that were as bad as Peyton's front five when Peyton was the most dangerous back in the game. Sweetness managed over 2,000 yards from scrimmage, 
four times in a 13-year career where the only game he missed happened during his rookie year. He's the standard bearer for toughness, versatility, and heart. It's only fitting on a team of the greatest of the greats with everything on the line, Peyton will hold the most meaningful position on the team to defend the planet. Peyton's going to be my punter. (laughs) I'm dead serious. With one career attempt for 39 yards, Peyton will be my punter. And it's the easiest decision I've made about running backs in this series. There's no question he can do the job if called upon. And he'll be called upon. Now it goes deeper than finding a punter. Like most fans, I love to scoff at the value of kickers, all the while knowing that punting isn't an act of surrender. It's a valuable strategic act. But this isn't any football game. It's a form of war deciding the fate of humanity. The value of strategy goes beyond developing a plan of superior intellectual merit. As a species, we often overthink our plans. Think about it. As my article, Deny Emotion, and you only see a fraction of the game, alludes to, you know, we can over-intellectualize and minimize the, the uh, value of emotion. And an effective strategy also instills confidence. At its best, leadership is strategic motivation that integrates the physical, intellectual, and the emotional. We're sending the message that will become more apparent to our team as we practice. We're going to enter this game loose, confident, and defiant. We're taking the fight to the aliens. We will not have a second to let their guard down. We also are showing our opponent that our team is filled with football players in the highest and truest sense of the word. Every member of the squad is a unique superstar, a versatile grunt, and an unselfish teammate who's willing to lay it all on the line for his brothers. With apologies to Sammy Baugh, Ernie Nevers, and the greats prior to the 1960s, few punters in the modern era of the game are versatile, productive football players at other positions. Peyton, as our punter, sends the message that no task is beneath any player, even one of the most revered football players in the history of our game. The aliens will hear this message loud and clear, and it won't be lost in cultural translation. They know the game and have obviously studied the history of of ours on Earth, and they wouldn't have come up with the idea otherwise. When they see Marcus Allen doing a fullback's dirty work, Marshall Falk holding down the slot, Adrian Peterson and Barry Sanders as return specialists, and Walter Payton doing that thing, It will be like Ali standing in the corner between rounds as the opponent sits on a stool. It's about cultivating bravado and psyching out the aliens at the same time. They admire our creativity and emotion. It doesn't mean they are emotionless. They may cope with feelings even worse than we do. It's why I want to give them that wink at the oddest moment. I want to get into their heads. I want to scramble their insides. I want to do things that make death tremble to take us. I said it all along as I was paring down my running back position in this series. If I could do it, I'd start five running backs for my team. It's just not feasible. I have to start six. Now, who's going to be my starting running back to defend the planet? 
Well, when I began that that running back to cut down the planet, as I said, I planned to award Walter Payton the job. But somewhere along the way, I realized that Payton was much more than a ball carrier for my team. He was that tone setter and the embodiment of our philosophy. I left the starting gig open, and it allowed me to reconsider players that I had cut. Now, I have a cut-down list, and you can read about each of those guys. Number 12, I had Earl Campbell. 11, Gail Sayers. Number 10 was Eric Dickerson. All phenomenal running backs. Number 9 was Marshawn Lynch. Number 8 was Bo Jackson. Number 7 was Marshall Falk, who I made my second slot receiver in 10 personnel sets. He's on the team. Number 6 was Marcus Allen, who I made my fullback. Number 5 was Emmett Smith. Number 4, Jim Brown. Number three, my kick returner, Adrian Peterson. Number two, my punt returner, Barry Sanders. And my punter, number one, on the cut-down list, Walter Payton. The players I originally cut from starting consideration who didn't earn a, a role elsewhere are Campbell, Sayers, Dickerson, Lynch, Bo Jackson, Smith, and Brown. There's a hair's width of separation among them, so it's not as simple as looking at the next guy on my list like Jim Brown, who I didn't assign a role and plugging him in as a starter. I could make it that easy, but I'd be sacrificing the ideals that I'm using as the foundation of my team build. Although the differences in greatness are minuscule, there are notable contrasts with each player's style. Some played in eras where the demands to consistently perform in a multidimensional role were few. I can't blame them for that, but I also can't give them credit for something I didn't see enough of in their career portfolios. I'm seeking a back with proven versatility as a ball carrier, pass catcher, and pass protector. Now, do I think Bo Jackson, Jim Brown, and Earl Campbell can perform these roles? Yeah. I'd even consider adding them to the team on the assumption that they'd prove me right if versatility was the only criteria. But it's not. Think about a multiple offense loaded with versatile players. Expressing that multiple nature to its maximum potential requires intelligent, creative, and selfless execution. It also requires players willing to cede opportunities to teammates. While I believe even the most self-centered players are capable of rising to the occasion and sacrificing for the good of a team, and we can all agree Defending the planet from enslavement would be the perfect occasion. I don't want a player who hasn't embodied this quality during his career. There will be no Hollywood moments on the field where there's a tight shot on Eric Dickerson's face as he contemplates in slow motion whether he should do something he normally didn't do during a football game. My multiple scheme will feature three gifted running backs on the field at the same time in roles where any of them could be the runner blocker, passer, or receiver. It doesn't, um, you know, our scheme will get so creative, you know, that it's not going to get to the point where it outsmarts itself trying to outsmart the defense. If a play works, we'll just continue going to the well enough times to build momentum. Yeah, momentum, it exists. I'm not taking players off the field at the first hint of fatigue because it can generate frustration among those who did the dirty work to lead the team to a certain point and not give them the chance to finish the job. 
I've seen games where teams substitute so liberally that the player was just beginning to get into the flow of the game when the coach pulls him. We can't do this with great running backs. Transcendent moments don't always happen when you're physically fresh, especially in a collision sport. Walter Payton set a single-game rushing record with a high fever. Michael Jordan helped his team with an NBA championship while fighting illness and the fatigue that comes with it. Still, there will be a series or two every quarter where we give the starter a breather. Sometimes those series lead to pivotal moments where certain players expect to be inserted back into the lineup to get a shot at glory. I don't want that kind of expectation from a player on my team. And not all teammates get along, but there needs to be enough unselfish, fun-loving, hard-working players with a gift for reducing the tension among the troops when the atmosphere gets tight. Saving the planet from aliens qualifies as the ultimate tension-filled scenario. Media attention is part of that pressure. I need players that are either at ease in the media without creating issues in the locker room or simply don't give a fuck about the media and want nothing to do with them. This is not the NFL, and its expensive version of Principal Ed Rooney has no sway here, but politicians might. We'll need a strong hand to keep them at arm's length from the team or a few seasoned pros who can steer them away. I'm suggesting that the aliens will put Chris Christie and every other politician I've ever seen ingratiating himself at the altar of the NFL under house arrest. Hopefully, they'll see this as a fair request. It would also be a bonus if my choice at running back has a similar style to the player I intended to be the starter originally, which was Walter Payton. The most important qualities I'm seeking from a runner are similar to Payton. Relentless stamina to the whistle. Equal facility at eluding or tackling a defender. Imagination and creativity with his eyes and feet. Tremendous respect from his colleagues as a teammate and an opponent. And compliments the styles of Barry Sanders, Adrian Peterson, Marshall Falk, and Marcus Allen. And this last point needs more explanation. What all four of these runners possess is creativity and the ability to physically and mentally wear out a defense. Peterson and Sanders are a little more boom-bust with their ratio of good plays to bad plays. I want a chain mover who hits the hole like a boxer with a trip hammer for a jam but delivers the knockout blow. I want a football player who is all about that action with another gear they call beast mode. Most size, speed, strength wonks won't like this pick. Neither will history worshippers. Football players will welcome it. Most NFL players during the past two years put Lynch in the same category with Peterson, if not ahead. Today's players are bigger, stronger, faster, and more technically savvy at their positions than in the past. It doesn't mean they are tougher or understand the game better, or they weren't exceptional players from the past that could hang today. Far from it. It does mean that nitpicking Marshawn Lynch's physical attributes in an era where athletes are better than any time in history lacks merit. He may not have as many breakaway touchdowns in the same situation as a speedier back, 
but I haven't seen a back author as many big game stamina reliant plays since Peyton and Brown while also having the versatility, locker room respect, and unselfishness to go with it. Lynch is also a little different, and depending on your life experience, maybe a little weird. I want the players that see the world differently and respond to it that way in kind. The point isn't to be contrarian for the sake of the label. It's a natural part of being exceptional. Lynch is excuse me. Lynch is unapologetically exceptional in the same way that Brett Favre is. He'll also work great with Favre on the field because of his style as a runner. Lynch's lack of breathtaking speed doesn't make safeties think twice about crowning the box to stop him because if you can't stop him fast, you might not stop him at all. With Favre's excellent array of ball fakes to an option like Lynch, the multiple offensive scheme will come to life. Marshall Falk could motion to the backfield for an end around. Favre could fake to both backs and dump off to Marcus Allen. Or the big-armed, freewheeling quarterback could roll out and go deep. Lynch fits this scheme as a runner, pass catcher, blocker, unselfish teammate, quiet leader, and odd bird. Keep Earth Weird. Listen, thanks again for listening to this. You know, you can go back and read any of these at um, the team RSP Team to Defend the Pro, um, Planet at my site, www.mattwaldmanrsp.com. And again, you can get the RSP pre-draft post-draft package for $21.95 at mattwaldman.com. And that's downloadable immediately. If you want the Dynasty Rankings and Projections package, that's available on PDF and in August will be available in Excel from this point forward. Um, you can get either one, but I think you'll love the Excel version because of what you can do with it. That's available for $24.95. And within 24 hours of purchase, I will send you an email that gives you access to the latest version and then future updates. You'll get an email that gives you new access information each time. Thanks again for listening. Appreciate you all. Looking forward to football season. Thought it'd be fun to share a little bit of this with the Hall of Fame coming around the corner. Take it easy.